Hey, while we might not be as fast as those guys racing in the Tour de France, cyclists like you and me are always trying to boost our performance and aid our recovery. And that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of a CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, our recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and even brain power. And this is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming so popular with endurance athletes. It helps the body better deal with intense training periods and then recover faster. Some athletes have even said they've improved their VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds when you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles. You can see why MitoQ might help you achieve your performance gains. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, to read some independent clinical trials and read some independent athlete testimonials, go to mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling. That's www.mitoq.com slash power up cycling. Thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this episode of the Velo Podcast. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a sunny, warm, beautiful, beautiful day here at the Velo News uh, home away from home offices outside Boulder, Colorado. The sun is shining. All that snow from the other day has melted, and it's just very pleasant outside. But I wouldn't know anything about that. I'm not going outside these days. I am dedicated to Tour de France coverage, and that means podcasting, writing stories, watching the race, just 24-7, neglecting my family, neglecting my health, not going outside. But I do it for you, you passionate listeners, because it's the Tour de France. No, I am getting outside. I, I ride my bike very early, but... Um, yeah, it's it's the tour. There's just so much to talk about. And there's so much to talk about today because uh, today, Sunday, we just watched stage 15 of the tour, which finished up the Grand Colombia in the Jura Mountains. Huge battle. And the big storyline, Egan Bernal fell out of contention. He lost like 722. Primoz Roglic continues to steamroll. And we're going to talk all about that today on the podcast. Second half of the show, we have a great chat with James Start. And Andrew Hood, who were, uh, they were at the summit taking photos, talking to riders. They have some good insight of what may have gone wrong with Team Ineos and Igan Bernal on that climb. Uh, we also have a dispatch. We have a little uh, catch up with Tom's Squinch, breakaway artist, um, fan favorite that Tom's. We love Tom's. He's been a FOVN, friend of Velo News, for many, many years now. And he is talking about taking us inside this tour with what it's like to be in the Peloton, recovering from crashes, and just what it's like to be on these climbs without any fans. Um, it's kind of a bizarre and surreal um, way to race a bike with no fans. But before we get to that, we have Jens. Coming to us from Germany, Jens, you've had a very packed day of watching this race uh, unfold as well. So we see this big battle on the Grand Colombier. We see Egan Bernal and Team Ineos. You know, this is one of those climbs where I think some people were hoping and praying that, you know, he was going to defy the odds and throw off his cape and emerge as Superman and drop everyone. And that just didn't happen because he got dropped 13 Ks to go and just did not have it. And I mean, Jens, when you look at uh, Ineos and, and Bernal getting dropped that early in the race and all the storylines about it, I mean, is, is this tour GC run officially over for Egan Bernal? Well, of course it is. With seven minutes, there's no way in hell that you ever, ever going to reach the podium or you would need a massive crash of like about 30 riders in front of you. So no, but he's a champion. The team knows how to win and they want to win. So they will use the rest day tomorrow that actually just came in handy for them. They're going to use that rest day to reassess the situation, to lick their wounds and make a new plan. Of course, they are out of teams competition. They are out of... They are out of the individual competition, but they're still a bunch of good riders or actually great riders. So they might be coming back and gunning for stage wins. 
I'm sure a team like Ineos does not want to leave the Tour de France without anything, right? So they might just take it easy on the rest day. Who knows? Maybe take it easy on the next day as well. Take two days off, get the head straight again, and they go, now we go for stage wins left, right, and in the middle. So I wouldn't be surprised if they would, yeah, still show their jersey, still show their colors, but for the overall, for the podium, it is definitely over. You know, Jens, you've been part of some great teams over the years. What's it like when you're on a team and the GC guy just has a really bad day and his shot at the overall goes out the window? What's it like on the team bus immediately afterwards? Take me through the social dynamic on a team when your best guy just has a really, really bad day. Well, this year it's a little special for Team Ineos because none of them is any better. So it's not that, that you would have two guys to go, I could have won this stage. I could have been top three if I wouldn't have to work for Bernal. No, after all, Bernal is still their best choice. So maybe part of the reason why he is not as good is because the team also is not as good. They couldn't protect him in a way they should. They couldn't support him in the high mountains in a way they should. So it's, it's a team failure. It's a team failure. And we do have to look much further down the road than the last two days or the last two weeks. The mistakes has been done in two months ago, three months ago. Um, you know, maybe they didn't manage, no, not maybe, for sure. They didn't manage the corona lockdown well enough with Egan Bernal back home in Colombia. Maybe there was a lack of communication. Maybe the coach couldn't see him and say, hey, look, let me look at you. How, how do you look on a bike? You know, the, the athlete, he's young. He goes, yes, sir, I felt good. Yes, sir, I felt good. Maybe he didn't, but he's only 23 years old. Maybe he didn't dare to say, hey, look, I'm completely naked. I need a day off, right? And that's where it went downhill. Because if he's with the team and the coach can actually look at him, at his body language, the coach might go, hey, Igan, you look tired. You need a day off. So problem already starts two or three months ago as well when their basically demand, the mind, the mastermind behind the success, Nicola Portal, he surprisingly and sadly passed away earlier this year. They did not replace him with a capable and qualified person for the job. Instead, they decided to split, cut his job in three or four little pieces and relegate it to the team they already had in place. So Egan Bernal, the head is missing instead of the giving it all to the lieutenants. How much, how much worse is the army without a general and maybe 10 lieutenants? It needs a general to take a decision. We do this right now. We do this tomorrow. The next week, we're going to fly to the training camp. And they missed that person who called the shots. And the plan looked good at the start to give more, more responsibility to each one of the uh, sport directors, uh, performance directors, um, and whatever they have. But in reality now, it turns out, no, it wasn't as good as it looked at the start. You need one person able to make the calls and have a plan, a master plan in his head, a plan who is in five different heads, probably doesn't come together. So lesson learned, they will not do that again. They will come back next year again and actually really going for the win, but not this year. And they will for sure analyze the mistakes, but yeah, they have to look down two or three months down the road where it went wrong in the beginning. Yeah, there's been a lot written about the challenges posed by the corona shutdown and some ha how some athletes really were able to get into race fitness and training alone. And other athletes, especially some older athletes, it seems like, you know, they really need the racing to get to that form. They can't just do it on training alone. Um, Garrett Thomas last week had some quotes where he said he kind of admitted, you know, I was kind of going through the motions in preparation. I need a bunch of racing at this age in my career to get that motivation level and to attain that fitness. I guess I always thought Bernal, he's only 23 years old. I would have put him in the, the bucket of guys who could get there on his own, but who knows, you know, I mean, he won the tour de France last year. He's probably riding a high of enthusiasm. He's doing very specific training, but you know, replicating race efforts and training. I feel like the jury's still out on whether or not, 
you can do that. And maybe it's just an individual thing, athlete by athlete. Some athletes can and some athletes can't. Well, I believe in case of Igor Bernal, he's young, full of motivation. He feels the pressure to perform. He feels the pressure to train hard. And I think it went wrong there. Uh, he needed a coach to actually slow him down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a very simple old saying is, it is easy to train hard. It is very hard to train hard in the right way, right? Train hard is easy. You just go out and hurt yourself. Mostly it's good, but not if you want to win the tour. You need to train hard, but in the right circumstances, in the right dose, and you need to give your time to adapt and to absorb the workload and transform the workload into some, some sort of shape, power, and speed. And I believe they did a mistake there. The talent is there. That just doesn't go away. He, because he's young, or his team didn't manage to get him into the best possible shape with, you know, 10,000 miles of ocean in between them and the athlete. They were missing that personal contact, I believe, and the training didn't work out the way they wanted to. So as we saw at Puy-Marie, this race has really separated into a two-man battle between Tade Pogacar and Tadi Pogacar. I, if someone says you've been putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, so Tadi Pogacar and uh, Primoz Roglic. Whereas behind, you know, Richie Porte, Miguel Angel Lopez, uh, Mikel Landa, Rigoberto Uran, they're kind of on the same level. You know, before we talk about those second-tier guys, Jens, I mean, Tade Pogacar looking so strong winning the stage today, could he win the Tour de France or is this 40-second deficit to Roglic on GC too big of a gap at this point? Roglic is still young. He, as well, is only 23, just like Igan Bernal, um, or whatever, 22 and three quarters. He's almost uh, 23, I believe. He's 22 and something. Um so he's a little bit into the unknown with the last time trial up the uh, Planche de Belle-Sea. In the moment, I would say, if it stays like this, Primoz Roglic is going to win because he's a better time trialer. But, or, <clears throat> and on the other side, if um, Tadi Pogacar really wants to win the tour, he needs the bonus seconds with the stage wins and if he could, he should have attacked at 500 meters to go or one kilometer to go to not only get the 10 bonus seconds, but maybe to get another 10 seconds to get closer. Because Pogacar must know if he wins the stage, it is very likely that Primoz Roglic finishes second and then he only gains four seconds because it's 10, 6 and 4 for the top three in the every stage, in every stage. So chipping away four seconds a day, it takes forever. So he's running out of days, right? Um, so he needs, if he can, he needs to have a more brave tactics. I was expecting him to go earlier today, but apparently Team Jumbo Visma, they were setting such a high tempo. Everybody was just there on pure survival. Nobody even dared to attack. Nobody even thought about it, right? They were all like absolutely on the limit and... You know, they were just happy to be there and sit there and survive. So basically the strengths of uh, Team Jumbo Visma just killed any attacks in the last 10 kilometers, except from Adam Yates. But we saw that also him, he didn't last, like he, he lasted a kilometer. It's just hard to race against a team so strong and uh, dominant. Like basically they are the new Team Ineos. They are Team Jumbo Visma. They are the new superpower, powerhouse of cycling. And it's hard to race against them. So I would say in a moment, it does look like uh, Primoz Roglic, if he doesn't fall off the bike, he got it. And meanwhile, Tade Pogacar, I mean, he is missing his two domestiques for the mountains after Aru was no good. And, uh, oh, your man, the Italian champion name. I'm Formolo. My yeah, Formolo crashed out. So he is definitely uh, missing some firepower for the mountains. Um, what about the group of, I would say, second-tier GC favorites right now, all battling for this third spot on the podium? You have Rigoberto Uran, Mika, uh, Miguel Angel Lopez, Adam Yates, Richie Porte, uh, and Mikel Landa. If you were 
you know, based off of what we saw today, to choose a favorite of who's going to get that final spot on the podium, who's your pick and why? Well, my pick would be Richie Port, former teammate, friend of mine. Um, and he actually did look the strongest today. And apparently, since he has become a father for the second time, it's only, what, four or five days ago, um, it feels like there's a lot of pressure off him, like that stress. You know, he's at the tour. You know, you got a pregnant wife at home, you know, about to give birth and you hope everything goes well. Now that that pressure and stress is off his mind, his wife, the kid, they're all good. They probably soon going to be back home. So he feels, uh, he looks more free and relaxed. And he, he's already, he said it himself, he wants one performance, one more performance for himself at the tour. And then he might go as the um, super domestic in whatever, maybe back to Ineos or in any other team. So he got a confidence. He feels free to go. Uh, he, it looks like he just found his rhythm now in the last few days. And he is, of all the names you mentioned, the best time trialer. So... If he keeps going like this, then with the time trial on the second last day, he might really secure his third spot on a podium. Yeah, and I mean, right now he's only about 40 seconds or so out of third place. I got to say, I would, I, as a fan of the sport, I would love to see that. You know, I've interviewed Richie a number of times. He's obviously a very strong rider. He's had some bummer luck at the Tour de France over the years. And yeah, the storyline of him racing this year as his wife was having their second child was such a sort of personal story that it would be great for him to achieve that result. I feel like that would really mark that would mark, that would mark a real high point for his career. And he's had a he's had a great career. It's just had these moments where it's like lightning comes out of the sky and strikes him at the worst possible moment in the race. So I'm with you. Um I'd love to see that. Hey, yeah, it's, you know, during this Tour de France, one of the stories that I had been following even before yesterday was Team Sunweb and all the breakaways and the aggression and putting Mark Hershey in the road and Tease Benoud attacking, attacking, attacking. And yesterday, stage 14 into Lyon, they um, light up the finale and Soren Craig Anderson attacks with a couple kilometers remaining after everyone's tired and takes the stage win. Um, their sec second stage win. I just think it's such a cool story because this is it's this team that in recent years has been so focused on jerseys, you know, yellow jersey with Tom Dumoulin, green jersey with Michael Matthews. Sometimes that all that focus and that dedication, you know, pays off for them. Other years like last year, it didn't really pay off for them. So then this year, they just blow it up and say, we're going to go for breakaways and stage wins and try all this new stuff out. You know, I feel like that fails more often than it succeeds. What's your take on how this team has been able to come in with a completely new vision and actually execute and have success with it? Well, I must say, um, there's about three teams in the peloton. They more or less constantly punch above their weight. Mitchell and Scott. Education first, already stage winner, um, and Team Sunweb. All of them, I believe, do not have the biggest budgets, but they do deliver spectacular racing, spectacular results. And one thing in common is that all these teams got an absolute fantastic team spirit. They're all like a band of brothers. They're not like a bunch of mercenaries. You just buy them and pay them and they work and function. No. They actually put their heart and soul into it. And it's really good to see that now, especially Team Sunweb, many or a lot of young kids actually really performing well at that team and that they give everybody, um, they give a chance to, to everybody. They do the sprint for Case Bowl. Then Mark Hirschi goes out there. Then uh, Zeran Krak Andersen goes out there. And Casper uh, Pedersen still finishes fifth in the sprint on that stage fifth on that stage behind Zeron Krak Anderson. So they had five riders in that group. They were the strongest team on that day, on the stage uh, yesterday. Uh, only team with five riders presented in the last uh, group of survivors. 
they're doing absolutely fantastic job. Um, and yeah, they got some open uh, tactics. This year, they know no GC contender for us. So we go for stages on the flats with a sprinter. And who knows what their plan is. Mark Hirschi is not far from the mountains jersey. I believe it's he's four points behind it. Um, so just one more breakaway in the mountains. And he got the mountains jersey. So that's another chance where they could go. It's absolutely fantastic to see their team performing and the way they run it. Have you ever been on a team where from one year to the next at the Tour de France, you had just a complete radical set of goals? And if so, like what goes into that? What has to happen from a mentality standpoint to completely shift your focus at the Tour de France from one year to the next? Well, it was at Team CSC. We had uh, many years where we went for stages and we tried to be whatever, third to sixth with Ivan Basso or Kara Sastra. And then one year in December training camp, things like that. You cannot just do it like that. You, you need to prepare. You need to get your mindset ready. So December training camp, we go, okay, this year or next year, whatever, we're actually going to win the Tour de France with Kara Sastra. We're not going to go for stages. We're not going to go for any jerseys and any breakaways and no funny stuff. We're all going to work for one objective that is Carlos Sastre in yellow in Paris. And we're all going to be behind it. And we did shape a really good team around him. You know, I mean, of course, if you have riders like back then, O'Grady, the Schleck brothers, Bobby Julek, myself, what can go wrong? We got Cancelara. What can go wrong, right? And we all actually lived up to the challenge and we all knew this is what we want. One of the things that also came out of the survival camps we did with Team CSC, you know, you really forged the team together, right? Um, and that helped us. Um, but yes, it, it needed, it took us six, seven months from the first ID. No, we're not going to finish second or third or fifth. We actually want to win and nothing else. And also myself, I had to go, hey, Jensi, look, there will be no breakaways for you. There will be no spotlight, no breakaways. All you need is your big engine. All you need is me being reliable and being able to ride tempo and close gaps or drill it on the front to make the race as hard as possible. And it was fantastic. Everybody was so happy. We had a great team. And then the night at Paris, when we actually completed our, our challenge, we were like, so happy everybody was so proud and happy on himself because we all knew it's only carlos in yellow on a podium but all of us played an important role in it everybody had one or two special days where he was just better than he ever was just to make it happen for carlos and uh, it is a superb feeling of accomplishment that you're so immensely proud of your teammates of your friends and on yourself after such a challenge and that drives already for next year the years to come you know how it was you know how good it felt when everything clicks and everything falls in line and it's a fantastic feeling and that's one of the feelings one of the things i missed in the sport the feeling that like being together with your brothers being out there doing all these adventures and failing together winning together you know uh, suffering together laughing together that's one of the things i really dearly miss in cycling. Well, I mean, by that logic, I wouldn't then be surprised to see Sunweb, you know, um, having more success in the Tour de France with this core of guys. They've come, they've obviously come together. They've proven themselves to be able to work together around a common goal. So I don't know, maybe we'll see um, the team adjust its focus even in the future. I mean, R Roman Bardet is coming on the team I know, so um, I, I got my I, I have my eyes on them. I've just really enjoyed watching them throughout this tour because they're obviously a strong team. But you know, when you hear some of these teams say, "Oh, we're going to go for stage wins," to me, it's always like, "Ah, eh, we're maybe throwing in the towel a bit." But with them, it hasn't been that. It's been so focused and so much effort and, and thinking going to it. So, chapeau to you, Team Sunweb, giving all of us hope that we can, yes. we can we can change our focus, maybe in life, at jobs a relationship, whatever, and go in a new direction and have success. Yes. Also, a change. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go worse or bad. A change is a challenge. A change, it's an opportunity. It can be a lot better afterwards, right? 
A change doesn't always mean it's stress or negative. A change could be also very good and positive. And it puts a bit of pressure on you that makes you perform to the best you can ever be that gets the best out of you. So yes, and now that you mentioned Roman Bade, thank you for that. Roman is a super analytical mind. And I believe he's almost a little too narrow-minded when it comes to the tour. He counts the peas he's eating, right? He just does the kilometers, the efforts, minute at the second precisely. I think they're going to be just taking the blinds off. And I think he's going to see a whole new horizon. And hopefully, I wish, because he's a really nice guy. He's a really good character. I hope for him he's going to raise like a new person next year. New approach. He's not going to lose his focus. But just be, you know. He has been second and third in the tour. He knows how it works. His body is, is able to do it. And the new team, new environment, I believe it will do really good for him. I think next year he's ready for a comeback with the big names. Well, you heard it here first, folks, from Jens. Jens is predicting big things for Roman Bardet in 2021. I would love to see that, too. I, I love Roman Bardet. He... Um, great rider, really intelligent guy, good quote. And so, fingers crossed for Roman. Hey, uh, thanks to Jens for being on the podcast. Uh, his segment, of course, is brought to us by Trek with the new Go By Bike campaign. Trek is challenging anyone to replace one car trip with a bike ride once a week. Post about it on social media with hashtag Go By Bike and get your friends to do it too. You can learn more at trekbikes.com slash go by bike. You heard me talk about MitoQ at the top of the show. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria in our cells to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. MitoQ helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials, and read some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling again www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling okay back to the podcast uh, i mean in the beginning when i hit obviously the knee was the biggest worry in the beginning um but luckily it's uh, all the tendons were okay and uh, there was no real uh, damage except road rash and a bit of swelling um that was the worry that could have like made me stop, but luckily it wasn't that bad. Now, there's been a lot of crashes, so it seems in this tour, is it more nervous tour than other years, or is it always the tour, it's always the tour? I don't think there's been that, as many crashes as, I mean, obviously if you don't count the first day, because that was just insanity, uh, I don't think there's been like more crashes than usual. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when there's so much on the line, there's always going to be guys taking a little bit more risk. And guys are getting tired and crashing as well and not as focused. And, I mean, when you are when you have so many guys so close to each other, there's just going to happen something, you know. It's been a great tour for you. You almost won the stage. Uh, is that something that you take confidence from or is that something that you just uh, have nightmares about, coming so close on such a great stage? No, it was definitely not nightmares because... You can say I was close, but at the same time, I wasn't that close. Um, Non-speeders was better on that day, and uh, there was nothing I could have stopped him. Uh, no way I could have stopped him, so it's not like I could have done anything better and suddenly lose nights because, oh, I didn't do this, didn't do that. There was nothing like that. He was just better. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to recovering from this, probably post uh, next rest day. Uh, to again be in the thicker action. Yesterday, bad news for the team with Valka out. How does that affect morale or just the overall team plans? Yeah, I mean it really sucks because he was uh, he was looking good for GC as well, and we had two guys up there. Um, luckily, Richie had a great day yesterday, uh, and that kind of softened the blow. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sucks. Bauke is a great guy. It's, uh, it's super nice to have him on the team. He's pretty relaxed. Doesn't take much maintenance. Um, 
he's yeah, he's a really good guy to have on the team, and he will be sorely missed for sure. Did you see that crash? What happened? Was, uh... No, I actually didn't. Uh, we were we had just stopped for a little nature break, and we're coming back and just saw a bunch of people on the ground, and then uh, realized the bug is there also. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, Roglic is looking untouchable, and Pogacar. How do you see the GC played out? I mean, Bernal gave up time yesterday, kind of surprised. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I don't think I see Pogacar on the podium in Paris. I actually think Miguel Angel Lopez is going to be on the podium in Paris. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Roglic is going to be on the podium. Obviously, he looks amazing right now. Um, and he's won Grand Tours before. So there's not uh, no re real reason to doubt him. But at the same time, you never know. And I uh, I would not place my bet my house on it. Oh, really? Okay. Is it the pace of this tour is for saying it's been really high? Have you noticed that? Has it been maybe the way the course is designed? It's always it's high. Yeah. It's always hard for me, so... I just feel like it's always high, yeah. The tour is always hard. Yeah. Is it any different this year from, you know, the fact that the tour is coming in September, it's the first grand tour after the break? Have you noticed any kind of weird things this year? Uh, I was definitely, I'm expecting people to really crack on the third week, just because uh, we haven't had that much racing since the restart. Uh, but that's still, I still might be very wrong about this, and uh, we'll find out. Just final question. I don't know if you heard the news. They're going to keep fans off the summit on Sunday at the Grand Canal. Does that affect racing golf for you guys? Have you noticed that in the racing there's no fans? Uh, I think it'll surely affect a little bit. For one, like... Whenever there's fans, there's kind of a tunnel and you almost cannot attack sometimes because they're just so close to you. Um, I don't think it'll affect it in a very negative way. Obviously, it's especially for the Gruppetto, it's super fun to interact with the fans, sort of. But, um, yeah, it's going to be different. 2020 is a different year. Hey, before we get to Andrew Hood and James Start, I want to talk to you guys about an exciting new wrinkle we have with our Active Pass membership. Look, we launched Active Pass about two months ago, and since then we've had a ton of signups, and I've, ha I've gotten a lot of messages from readers, uh, both positive, hey, I love this thing, and also saying, you know, Active Pass is cool, but there's elements of it that don't really apply to me. I'm not super interested in coaching or access to live events. What I really want is the content. I want Velo News Magazine. I want access to the daily exclusive content and all the stuff you're doing around the Tour de France. Well, guess what? We have a new membership that is catered to you if you are one of these people. Um, it's called Velo News Pass. It is $49 for an annual subscription, and it includes all of the exclusive content on VeloNews.com, so that's all of the membership roundtables, hoodies column, um, archive pieces, daily analysis, and exclusive news pieces. Uh, in addition to a year subscription to VeloNews Magazine, that's nine issues, and we're also throwing in the industry deals like pro deals to Jordana, um, Scratch Labs, some other companies in there. And yeah, that's what's included in the new VeloNews Pass. It's $49. You can learn more or sign up at VeloNews.com slash ActivePass. But this is a new a new membership product. I'm really excited about it. Again, you know, this was born from a lot of readers um, and your feedback. So continue to reach out via social media or web letters at VeloNews.com. And if you want more information on ActivePass or or VeloNews Pass, check out VeloNews.com slash Active Pass. Okay, let's hear from Andy Hood and James Start. Here we are, James Start. How appropriate we are in an EBIS. It's been, I don't know, it's actually been a pretty good tour for hotels, I have to say. But, you know, you get the occasional EBIS, it's not too bad. Yeah, no, at least, you know, with EBIS, hotels, you know, you know what you're going to get. You know, you know, it ain't going to be great, but, you know, you can count on a few things. The breakfast spreads haven't been bad, you know, and... And um, you know it's good for your collection of uh, your my European lifestyle. Uh. <laughs> my European lifestyle, yeah. The Ebus is. In fact, I took one for tonight. Uh, but you know the Ebus is always open. 
You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Motel 6 of France. It's always open, late check-in, there's usually parking, there's always Wi-Fi, it's usually you can get 24-hour food if you're completely desperate. So, but uh, only have one, one Any, sh- Anybody that's done the Tour de France knows it can get a lot worse than yeah. TVs. So we'll take what we can get. Yeah, we haven't we haven't shared any rooms yet, and we have not slept in any uh, hospitals or barns, or even in our car, which we've had to do a few times over the years. Uh, so, James, today you had quite the adventure. You were up on the Grand Colombia, which is in the it's in the Lan region, L apostrophe A I N. But the name of the mountain range. Uh, well, it's not the Alps. Uh, it's the Jura, the Jura Mountains. Is it the, is it the start of the Jura? Okay, good. I've done the Tour de Lens. Uh, I was a photographer for like five years, and we've done this climb many times. I love this climb. I, I think when I first moved to France, one of the very first stories I ever did was on the Matteo brothers, Yvon and um, and Mark Matteo, you know, who were uh, still racing bikes uh, before it became the uh, the foundation of the Francaise des Jeux team. And I asked uh, Yvon, I said, what's the hardest climb you know? And... Um, he said it's the Grand Colombier, and he said it's it's not a climb we go up very often because it's not you know in the Alps of the Pyrenees, um, but he said for me it's just brutal, and I've always loved coming up at a spectacular climb that climbs out of out of um, this valley and you just get this plunging perspective from certain hairpins looking down over it. It's gorgeous and it's a narrow road. It's just a really beautiful, beautiful climb, um, and so I was excited when we had our first finish today. On, on this uh, smaller races have finished on it but never the tour um, so to finish on it was something else and you know it was pretty brutal yeah so uh, James you drove up the course today um, and tell us about what the scene was like it was you know they have this red zone now the COVID is kind of going off in some parts of France you know it's kind of surreal everyone's walking around with their face mask doesn't seem that bad but it's probably the same everywhere um, but the Tour de France has decided to uh, limit fans on the roads you know already they're already limited no cars and campers now they're like basically saying nobody on the climb right uh we came out of uh Coulouse, which is the town at the bottom and we got about a kilometer up and it was pretty thick crowds and all of a sudden stop there was a couple of you know police cars and no fans went past that and i was driving up and a couple of fans kind of knew the trails and back little pack pathways and then you see them come out but you would also see them getting like shut down by cops and sent back. Uh, I was about midway up because it's a series of really nice turns that are kind of exposed and just gorgeous. And um, there was like one or I think I saw three fans with polka dot T-shirts on. I was like, how did you get here? And they're like, well, we walked on the back trails. I said, OK. And they managed to do it without you know, crossing the road and getting caught. And there was one like Slovenian fan. Who apparently like uh, doesn't read French? <laughs> well, you know, but you know, he was waiting for for primos, and um, you know, apparently like their neighbors, and he rides horses with in the neighborhood or something, whatever. But those are the only people I saw on the climb. It was kind wow, of, that's interesting. It was kind of it was kind of crazy. Um, but from a photographic perspective, that was kind of nice because it's a really spectacular, gorgeous climb, and just having the riders against nature in the roads is is pretty special and pretty rare. So. You know, it's. I don't know if this is going to be a thing that lasts, um, but uh, it is what it is this year. You know, and you know, from from a photographic point of view, uh, I'd rather have the climb free of camping cars than full of camping cars. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, and you know, really unprecedented view of a, of a tour climb with nobody on it. I mean, we see it occasionally, like at the Tour of Oman or something like that, where there's no people on a climb. But never at a Tour de France. So uh, interesting times. Uh, just on that same theme, real quick. Uh, overnight, we get going to have all these uh, COVID tests lined up with teams. Uh, they reset this kind of uh, counter because there were those four teams that had the the one case of positives within their staff, and the rule is two strikes and you're out. But going into this next round of testing they've reset this uh counter back to zero so if for example tomorrow Unios gets one more positive case they won't be out of the tour but after what happened today at the tour member maybe in fact they wouldn't mind going home because bruno uh, uh bernal just got slammed I've, I've never seen a defending well i have to think about that but i mean to see a defending tour champion on such a team like Enio Sky Legacy, today was just an unprecedented collapse. I mean, I've never seen uh, a, a rider that bad. And he, you know, he was not making excuses. He was just saying that you know I'm not good right now. And there's other stronger riders than me, but he just got popped out the back. Well, uh, he, you know, and he wasn't alone. I mean, you know, Nairo Quintana uh, got popped um, about the same time. It seemed to me, 
Guillaume Martin uh, had had you know a little mechanical. Had to, just got back on, and then you know, and then got popped. Uh, a lot of guys got popped. I mean, he's a good, good company, but he is the tour champion. We thought he was going to be the next great thing. Ineos has been saying he's the next great thing, and he was looking like the next great thing, but he's not right now. Might he be the principal victim of the COVID restart? Perhaps he's the rider that has most suffered from this, who most miscalculated his tour preparation. I don't know. I mean, he won the first stage he got. You know, the first race he did coming back, he won. For sure. Um, Dramatic so fashion. Like, yeah, he looked uh, perfectly on form. Um, but, you know, he wasn't able to maintain or sustain. Uh, is the back still hurting? Oh, I don't know. Uh, or did that just turn out to be that wrench in the, in the you know, in the spokes for his uh, preparation? Uh, was he just building on the Dauphiné and then he had to drop out and miss miss some some training and is that what's missing? I don't know. Um, well, that's that's the problem. We don't, we don't know because uh, you know we're, uh, the media has been really kept at arm's length. And typically uh, at a tour, you know, we're going around the team buses, we're talking to the soigneurs, we're talking to the mechanics, talking to the sport directors, and you know, you can just you know you get in the juice through your contacts, and you know, and and you know, people will actually just tell you what's going on. It's not like it's a big secret, but. Um, uh, this year, it's like we have no clue what's going on because we can't talk to Brailsford. We can occasionally talk to Gabriel Rosh, who is the sport director. Uh, you know, but he's not the most expressive person. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to, you know, during the heat of the battle, they're not going to give away, uh, you know, if one of their writers are a crook, they keep that under wraps until it's obvious. You know, we, we can just make it up. Well, I was, you know, uh, we can do uh, that as well. Journalist <laughs> Credo, was a William Randolph Hearst once said, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, huh? So we could come up with some great stories if we had, didn't have to adhere to facts. But, you know, we do try to do that. So. We, we do try to have uh, factual-based reporting on VelaNews.com. And we appreciate everyone who listens and reads. Uh, and But, uh, you know, today it was just, you know, uh, you know, Jumbo, Jumbo Visma was just so strong. I mean, you know, they had their whole train up there. You know, it's like long live the king or the king is dead and long live the king. It's like. That mantle is just passed. That crown is just yeah. passed from Bernal over to well, Roglic still has to win. You know, we're not done yet. But that team, that team has the this, the foundation right now to I think really dominate Grand Tours for for several years. I think. Well, that's what we say. But then look who's in second, and the you, you know Pogachar is having, he has no team this year. Okay, but um, let's take a look at the recruiting. You know, he has the, they has the makings of making a team around him. You know, they came. But it into takes this, several years to make a team. Well, they have money, and they have. Um, I don't think they're that far away from it. The problem was they weren't building a team around him coming into this tour. They were building a team around really nobody. You know, a little bit of Aru here, and then you know, Formolo would have been a tremendous help. Uh, he was on great form in the Dauphiné, won a stage. He's a tremendous rider, but you know, crashed and 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 um, and dropped out. Um, and they, you know, they're they're hiring some good riders. Let's not forget. You know, all of a sudden, a year ago, it was all Bernal. And now it's all Ineos, uh, Visma, Jumbo Visma. But, you know, dynasties come and go. And, the, and, you know, we thought Bernal was the next greatest thing. And maybe Primoz is going to be a one-tour wonder. We don't know that, sure. Maybe next year it'll be Dumoulin. That could be. Um, or maybe it could be uh, Pogachar. Let's also not forget that Pogachar, you know, um, Bernal won the Tour de l'Avenir, which is the under-23 Tour de France. Goes over many of the same climbs, many of the same roads. A year later, he's a pro. He's doing, you know, all kinds of work for uh, Thomas uh, and 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 having a great tour. Next year, he wins. Pogacar won the Tour de l'Avenir the year after Bernal. So he's just like one or two years back. Uh, and he's already had, you know, he won three stages last year in the Vuelta. How many stages so far this year? Two in the Tour. And he's in second place overall. Best young rider, um, you know, UAE has done a tremendous job recruiting in the last couple of years, um, and I think that they could build a, a, a team that rivals Jumble very quickly. No, I, I certainly agree with you with the talent of, of Pogacar. Now, someone told me today actually how to say his name: Poga, Pogacar, 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 Pogacar. It's the accent on the second gap, Pogacar. Um, now, in fact, there was a video that uh, Pagatiat sent out to uh, some TV people that uh, was shared with me. That's how you actually say his name. It's not, you know, we, we butcher names on a constant basis here of Ellen. So we're trying, we're trying to get it right. But when we Pagatia. don't butcher 
is Van Avermaet, Greg Van Avermaet. Van Avermaet. We can get that <laughs> yeah, right. Matt, Matt White might uh, have something to say about that. But, um, you know, I certainly agree that Pogacar, Pogacar is having this amazing Tour de France, and I, and I love the way the guy races. But when you look at the foundation that uh, Jumbo Visma has built over the last couple of years and just the quality of riders they have, I mean, you had Wout Van Aert today, like pulling all the way over basically – those first two climbs, and then halfway up, they rank on Colombier. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, and then, you know, behind him, you have uh, George Bennett, uh, Sepp Kuss, our birthday boy. Birthday boy, happy birthday, Kuss, Sepp, if you're listening to this, uh, turns 26 today. And then, like you just mentioned, Tom Dumoulin. And then you have Roglic, who's just like a killer. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's like Murderer's Row. For the GC, this race is over. Um, I could be really wrong. I mean, maybe Pogacar is really going to pull one out of his hat here on the TT or something, but I don't know. They're, he, did they're, beat, he did beat uh, your man there, Roglic, in the uh, Slovenian National Time Tile Championships. Yes, I know. And I thought about that, and I'm still thinking about that. But he's still got quite a bit of time to make up. Um, he got back a couple sentence that, seconds today, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, with time bonuses. My five uh, seconds. Well, he, no, he would have gotten back. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the time bonus king. I should know this. Yeah, he got back uh, two seconds. Two seconds. Well, uh, a, a, a Tour de France has been won and lost by eight seconds, but two, we need a little bit, a little more than two. We'll see where it goes. But um, I have a feeling he's going to have an awful hard time. I mean, unless he can like chip away in the next uh, couple of days in the Alps and then pop it on the on the TT, maybe. But um, I'd say right now, I you know, if I was a bet man, I would not bet against uh, Roglic right now. Um. Just looking at uh, Enios, Sky, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, what what's going to be going around their team bus tonight? I mean, you know, uh, Dave Brailsford has done a great job at recruiting and rebuilding that team, you know, preparing for the future. Um, you know, that process really started 2017. Uh, he started, you know, signing guys like uh, Bernal and Sivikov, who's been – he crashed on the first day. Quite, He's been, you know, he has – been a non-factor in this tour, but he's actually very good. Um, and all these young riders that he brought in and brought in guys like uh, Carapaz and uh, Amador. But um, in fact, there's only two riders on this team that were even at Ineos before 2016. So, you know, uh, Brailsford has like completely turned the page on that whole team. But man, do you think, you know, where is where's Frumi and uh, Garrett Thomas tonight watching this? You know, what are, what are they thinking watching this tour right now? Because they were both uh, flicked. Well, um, I think it was Bjorn Reese that said uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, they're going to miss not uh, bringing uh, Thomas. You know, Thomas may have uh, come into form this last week. You don't know. Um, but um, those are the choices they made. Um, and they made those choices before, and Brailsford's never been wrong. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, what do they do? They've been beaten, beaten badly. Um, and all you can do is now finish this tour – Nobody's going to be asking too many questions until this tour is over. Once the tour is over, close the books, then start looking at what, you know, once the dust is settled, what went wrong? Uh, was it our preparation? Did we miscalculate the the, the reboot of the season? Uh, or are there some other things out there? Is Bernal maybe not as good as we thought? Um, you know, last year, I think it was you that said, you know, really, if the team, team tact, if, if it wasn't for Alaphilippe holding on to the jersey like one extra day, uh, Thomas would have been the best place rider and they would have maybe had to defend his chances. Um, and he might have gone on to win two tours. Um, so there's a lot of what ifs and, you know, what ifs and what have you, what have you, lots of ins and outs. They're going to be asking those questions. They're, they're hard questions. The first time ever that that team has had to look at themselves like they are going to have to do after this tour and ask those kinds of questions. But, you know, bicycle racing, the Tour de France is all about dynasties. Theirs is, I believe, you know, I mean, you probably have to go back, say, to like the French national team or something in the 50s or the 30s or who knows, um, to find a team that won so many tours, whether at eight and counting, correct? Uh, seven with four different riders. Seven, okay. Well, then they've tied, essentially tied the uh, great uh, Jeton team because Cyril Guimard uh, won seven tours with three different riders. Uh, he had his Lucien Van Imp, Bernard Hino, uh, and then and then Laurent Fignon. And he had seven tours as well, uh, so that was a, that was quite the dynasty, um, you know. And then um, you know, obviously the, the Armstrong uh, dynasty. If you if you want, you can say what you want about it, but um, that was seven years of our lives, and um, and now this. Um, 
So, you know, dynasties come and go. You can't win forever. That's that's sports. And if this one's over, well. It's, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers and then we got the New England Patriots. Yeah. And, you know, the Denver Broncos, they won yeah. a few there in between. So everybody's happy. We'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't have favorites when it comes to bicycle racing. I have, you know, uh, you know, some people like a little bit more than others. But, you know, when it comes to the results and all, I'm, you know, let's, let the best man win. Well, yeah, that's usually how bicycle racing is, though, generally anyway. Typically, typically the, the strongest, strongest rider wins. Typically. It, it, you know, especially in a stage race. You get, you know, you get some crazy things happen in the one-day races. But, uh, you know, in a stage race, three weeks, it's almost always the strongest guy wins unless they have a lot of really bad luck. Now, Andy, you have been, um, you know, you've been throwing out the idea of a sort of national alliance. You know, are no, no, that's not my idea. Uh, are the Colombians going to unite against uh, the Slovenians? Well, they lost, they lost two of their alliance today. So, you know, maybe, but maybe they actually would help their alliance cause in the sense of, okay, now. We're going to work for Iran or somebody? Well, well ne- now Nairo and Bernal are out of the GC picture. They, you know, they both lost quite a bit. I mean, uh, Bernal lost seven minutes. So, you know, the, the scenario would be, okay, yeah, let's get uh, Miguel Angel Lopez, you know, and Bernal attacking together. It's like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a, an alliance on the road of like, okay, you win the stage, I'm going to move up on GC, and all of Colombia goes absolutely insane. Well, it kind of worked at the Dauphine, you know, when Lopez and, and Danny Martinez went off. Uh, but I don't know. This is the Tour de France, and uh, there's a, half that alliance is suffering big time right now. I don't know if they're going to be good for much else. I think Bernal could well be going the way of Thibaut Pino uh, in this last week, um, which means uh, not up but down. Uh, the, the tour is just so cruel, isn't it? Just in general. I mean, every, every year, just people's dreams just get crushed. And a lot of times it just can be a crash, a flat tire at the wrong time, get caught out in crosswinds. You know, again, Thibaut, Pinot, Bardet the other day had that bad crash, and there was some con- controversy around him with the concussion. Um, but I was talking with um, a few writers the other day at the start in uh, Clermont, well, it was yesterday, in fact, and uh, one name that kept popping up, I'm like, who's, you know, I was asking around, who's going to be on the podium? And they're like, okay, Pogacar and Roglic are the strongest. But the name that kept popping up that the riders see who is strong is uh, Lopez on Astana, which kind of surprised me because uh, his previous efforts at the Giro and the Vuelta have, you know, he, he's he's still quite young. I think he's only 26, 27 now. Um, but he's, uh, you know, he, he everyone kind of expected him to be like the next uh, Nairo kind of thing. And uh, and he hasn't really come through, but I guess he's like uh, looking looking pretty sharp in the bunch. Anyway, so uh, lots lots of things to talk about, but we are going to wrap things up because we have to prepare for our resting. We have to take this very rest days very seriously. We and do. Chambéry is a nice town to spend it in, and then we'll be um, you know all refreshed, for eyed and fluffy tailed for the final week of racing. Fluffy tailed indeed. I like, you like that. that. <laughs> all right, thanks, thanks from Chambéry and our EB's hotel. Over and out.